Well, now you can turn or click in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to resume our verse-by-verse study of the book of Proverbs. If you're new or you haven't been here in a while, uh, welcome to Sunday School. We are studying the book of Proverbs verse-by-verse. Uh, Proverbs is a book written uh, by largely by a man named Solomon, who the Bible tells us was the wisest man that ever lived. God gifted him with a special uh, ability of wisdom, and, and it's really, really beneficial to us that he wrote a book about it. And so we can glean and benefit from uh, the wisdom that we see here. Also, if you're a young person, if you're a a student, a high school student, a college student, uh, uh, young in your 20s, um, and and adult, when are we old? When are we when are we officially old? I mean, we can benefit if we're an old person here. But but what I was going to say is, this is a book uniquely designed and written for young people. So if you're a student. This book is for you. This, if you say, well, I don't know much about the Bible and, and I've never really read it or it's confusing, it's hard. Believe me. Spend some time in the book of Proverbs. Not only was it written for you, but it's written in a way that it's actually pretty easy to understand. I mean, there's some parts that are kind of like, what's that mean? But I mean, you can, you can typically fall out of bed in the morning, read a proverb and go, I know exactly what this is saying. I know exactly what I need to do, and, and that, that's God's design for, for students there. So I'd encourage you, students, if you're not reading the book of Proverbs, read the book in the Bible that God wrote for you. Okay, that's, that's a great, I mean, it, it, there aren't other books in the Bible that says, well, this is for the children, or, you know, this is for the doctors, and this is for the, uh, the lawyers. It's not like that, but there is one book in the Bible that's written for young people. And so I would encourage you to be reading that. Um, and, and maybe this is by God's wonderful design. I mean, we have a, uh, uh, the, the calendar that we follow today has typically 31 days in uh, the month, and there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Bada bing, bada boom. This is really easy. You, you say, well, what day of the week is it today? It's the 19th. Great. Okay, so open in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 19. You read it. Tomorrow you read chapter 20. The day after that you read chapter 21, so on and so forth. The Bible reading plan of Proverbs is built into the book. It's awesome, at least for those of us that follow a 31-day calendar. So there we go. Now, we find ourselves today in Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to think today about two subjects that no teenager ever thinks about, money and discipline. Okay? How relevant is that? And, and, and again, if you're new to Proverbs, if you're new to the Bible, or maybe you haven't studied Proverbs too much, this book is really old. This book is almost 3,000 years old, and yet it's going to talk to you as a student, as a young person, as if it was a modern-day discourse. I mean, this is you read this and you go, this was really written 3,000 years ago? Why is it so relevant to me? It's relevant because the issues and life problems that students face, that young people face, are not bound by a time in history or a culture or a generation. They tend to be the same sorts of things. Now, uh, I said this is a book written for students. It is, but the other level of application of this book, of course, is to parents, because parents are God's invention for helping young people to discover the wisdom that God has for them. So, so as, we, as we hear in this book instruction to students, we also understand that it's written by a parent for a parent to benefit. And so we're going we're gonna to walk and chew gum at the same time here today as we pivot between thinking about application to students and application to parenting, and uh, we'll see how we do there, okay? Um, so talk to me, young people. Are, is, is money something that you think about? Or, I mean, do you care about money? Uh, is that important to you? Okay, saving for anything right now? Okay, uh, uh, debit cards, um, you have enough 
guys in the back row there, do you guys have enough money or are you looking to get some more? Is that, talk to me here. Is that, okay, the parents are smiling. So, um, yeah, so let's, let's talk about money because this is something that all young people need to learn about. Um, money's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a necessary, um, uh, ingredient of our culture for commerce and, and things of that nature. Um, but money is one of those things, and that, that's why it's here, young people, that money is one of those things that can completely ruin your life if you're not careful. And that's why we're going to talk about it here. Because it's, it's a wonderful blessing if used in the way that God intends for it to be used. But it will, it will make you a slave if you're not careful. Okay, so, so let's talk about this here. And this is not the only place in Proverbs that talks about money, uh, but it's the first place. So we'll look at what it says here. We'll dabble in the New Testament a little bit, and then we'll move on. But, but just know, this is not the last time we'll talk about money in the book of Proverbs. Now, the, the title today is, is very creatively titled, Money and Discipline. I thought about that for a long time. Now, the principle here, young person, and remember parents, uh, and again, if you're not a parent, you might be a grandparent. If you're not a grandparent, you might be a great-grandparent, right? And if you're not a parent, grandparent, or great-grandparent, that's okay, because there are young people in our church that need your help. And there are parents in our church that need your help. So no matter what, what your season of life is, you cannot get away from the application of this book. <clears throat> now, as parents, uh, we want to come alongside our children and help them to think about money and and how God intends for us to do that. And and, and the, this is the most important principle. We're going to get down to you know, do you borrow? Do you lend? Do you save? We'll get to all that. But this is the most important principle regarding money. This is the most important thing that God says about money, and that's I think why it's first here. And that is this: honor God with your money. Honor God with your money, and. Um, uh, let's look at how this unfolds for us in Proverbs chapter 3, if you're there, verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, if you're a teenager, you're going, wait a minute, I don't own a barn. What is this all about? Okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, okay? But just for now, I want you to see the, the command here that uh, Solomon, as a dad, is conveying to his sons is to honor the Lord from your wealth. Now, now notice the preposition. Students are good at grammar because they're typically uh, in the midst of schooling. Notice the preposition. It's, it's not honor God with your money, although that's the general principle. Notice <coughs> the preposition here, honor the Lord from your wealth. Do you see that? What that means is we honor God, we worship God, by giving him some of our money, you ready for this? Hang on, students, this is radical. We give him some of our money voluntarily. We give it to him because we want to. And not only that, we give to him from the first part of our money. Okay, we, we don't get to the end, and, and you guys, most of you students are not here yet, but the way the real world works is you have to pay bills. You work and you pay your bills, and maybe you've heard about this from your mom and dad, right? Uh, some of you are doing that. Maybe you're paying your cell phone bill, maybe you're paying your gas bill, maybe you, you've got a car and you're making payments on a car, so you're doing some of this, but that's the way the world works. And, and what a lot of Christians do is they say, okay, I'm going to wait till at the very end of the month, and I've... I've, I've paid all my bills, I've done all my grocery shopping, I've bought all the things I want, and then I look at my bank account and I say, well, what's left to give to God? 
Okay, that's, do you know how many Christians do that? Actually, a lot of Christians don't give at all, actually. But that's the way a lot of Christians think about it. But what this passage is saying, students, is that God wants us to honor him from our wealth, from our money, first. That he would get, uh, in a sense, the first fruits, the best of what God provides for us in terms of our finances. So we honor the Lord from our wealth. Now, now notice this. We will honor him first and from the best of the produce. Verse 9, and from the first of all your produce. Now, now, and again, you guys are smart and you understand this. This is largely an agricultural, agricultural community where people... Uh, their their vocation, their job was they farmed, they, they raised cattle, they raised uh, crops. And so the, the metaphor here is the harvest comes, you've been, you've been waiting all season for this, right? The, the crops come up and you're going to go out, you're going to harvest that and that's going to be your livelihood, your sustenance, you're going you're gonna to sell that for other things, you're going to get money, you're going to use that. It comes up and you're so eager to get out there and, and use it and spend it and, and, and that's where Solomon says... You go out there with your plow, and the very first run on the crops that you do goes to God. Okay, you, We honor him from our wealth, from the first fruits, or we might say the, the best of our produce. Now, if you're not a farmer, you, you, might, you, might, you might not be a farmer. You might work at Walmart, right? Or you might be uh, working at Chicken Express or, or something like that. You have a job. It's, it's the same thing. You're, you're honoring God from the first of what God gives you in terms of your paycheck. Now, just by way of review, um, we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but uh, giving is one of those things. Money is one of those things that a lot of Christians uh, are confused about. And a part of that confusion is because in the Old Testament there was a certain prescription for the nation of Israel regarding money, and it was called tithing. You've heard that term before, tithing. The the word tithe comes from a root word that means a tenth of, or ten percent. And that was a part of what God designed in the nation of Israel. And a lot of Christians think, well, this giving thing is easy. God just wants me to give ten percent, and everything's great. And that actually is a common but wrong understanding of giving in the Bible. And, uh, and in fact, um, most, most people don't know this, but if you go through the Old Testament and you add up all the tithes that God prescribed for the nation of Israel, it's not 10%. It comes up to something like 33.33333%, or 33 and a third if you want to round it out. You say, well... Why have I never heard that? Well, part of it is because this misconception of 10% has been so propagated throughout Christianity that, that a lot of people have never studied the topic of money and giving for themselves when it comes to the Bible. You say, well, 33 and, and, and a third, that's a lot of money, that's a lot of percentage. And, and that's true, but remember, Israel was a theocracy. It was a nation governed by God as their king, as their ruler. And the tithe for the, this, this is going to rock some of your worlds, but I'm going to say it. The tithe in the Old Testament to the nation of Israel was not so much about giving freely to God, it was their tax system. The tithe, the 33%, was the tax that was imposed on the nation of Israel as part of the government there. 
the tithe is not a model of giving either even in giving to God either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. The tithe in the Old Testament was more parallel to what we think of as our tax system today than it was anything else. Okay. Now, now that I've totally confused some of you, you think, well, how am I supposed to think about giving? How, well, if it's not 10%, if it's not 33%, if we don't follow the Old Testament, well, what is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn in your Bible. Hold your place here. Turn in your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And, and I just want to show you one verse in the New Testament. This is probably the most comprehensive verse on giving. Um, and uh, I have some other verses there that you can look up on your own time. Uh, but I, I just I don't want to leave you hanging on this because students, God has just said to give to him from the first of what we get. And, and we need a little more instruction to know what that looks like. And so we're going to lean on the New Testament to provide, to kind of fill in the details here, okay? Are you there? Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And this is just one of the many things that the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, the, the church at Corinth, the, these folks here, about. And we'll pick it up in chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Remember that principle, because we're going to come back and look at it in just a minute, okay? Here's our verse, verse 7. Let each one do, meaning in his giving to God, just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? Now, now, now be honest, be honest. Are you paying your taxes as we think about April coming here? And uh, the ta- are you paying those cheerfully or grudgingly? Okay. Well, you don't have to worry about that because that doesn't apply to this particular verse. That, that's why we see that the tithe is more like a, a tax. It was imposed on the nation. What we see here in terms of giving for God is not an imposition. It's not something that God makes you do. It's something he wants you to do because you want to give. And that's what we see here. Notice, let's just run through this real quick. Notice that giving in the New Testament is purposeful. Do you see that? It implies forethought and planning. So in other words, you, you, you don't show up on Sunday morning and think, oh no, what do I do? And, and uh, young people, you don't know what a checkbook is, but ask your parents about that. Um, but, you know, quickly scratch out a check at the last minute, you know, because you forgot about it. That's not the picture of New Testament giving. The, pers- the picture of New Testament giving is that it's purposeful. You've thought about this. You've planned for it. If you're married, you've sought down, you sat down with your spouse and, and you've, you've talked about this. You've prayed about it and you've decided this is what we want to give to the Lord. Number two, it's not reluctantly. Uh, you're, you're not you're not grumbling under your breath as you give for God. God God actually says in the Bible, I'd rather you not give than do it like that. Okay, so it's not reluctant. It's also not under compulsion or pressure. Now you may notice if you've been at Grace Bible Church for very long, we, we do something that's a little bit different than what most churches do. We do not pass a plate. Now if you're if you're new to Christianity, you're new to church, you what's pass the plate? Well, typically in most churches. Uh, there's a time of the service where some men come down the aisle and they pass these little dishes, these little plates. They're usually wooden, or sometimes it's a little bag. And and uh, and everybody knows that that's a time when you put some money in the dish, put some money in the plate, put some money in the bag, and that's the collection. That that that's the offering to God. And and I'm here to tell you, there's nothing wrong with doing that. 
like that. There's nothing wrong at all uh, doing it that way. Let me tell you why in Grace Bible Church we don't do that. Because the Bible says not we want to give not under compulsion or pressure. And there are some Christians, when that plate comes by, they feel guilty. They feel bad that they didn't think about giving till that moment. And so what do they do? They reach into their wallet real quick and they pull out whatever they have and they throw it in the plate. And, and, and what Paul's saying is, don't do it like that. That's not how it's supposed to be. Again, better to not give than to have the wrong heart at that moment. Okay, now what you should do is repent at that moment and get the right heart, Think, sit down with the spouse, work through these issues, and then come up with a plan to give um, according to these principles, but not under compulsion. And one of the ways we don't pass the plate in Grace Bible Church is just to try to honor this principle here. Okay? The other reason we don't do it is the Bible promotes um, anonymous giving. And so those are the two biblical reasons that we feel like it's best to not pass a plate. There's a box in the back uh, where, where we allow people to give privately and not under compulsion. Okay, But that's what it says. You're not under compulsion, not under pressure, not making you do it. In fact, it says do so cheerfully because God loves a begrudging giver, right? That's what it says? No, God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to make giving, like every other act of worship, something you enjoy, something you want to do. And, and, and so you can see how this, this is very, very different than the tax code, isn't it? Tax code, we've got to do it. Now, God does want us to have a good attitude about that. But that's something that we have to do. You, you, can't, you, you can't change that. It's just the way it is. Giving to the Lord is very different. It's voluntarily, it's cheerfully, not under compulsion, not reluctant, purposeful. Now, how many of you have heard that this word actually means hilarious? How many of you have heard that before? God loves a hilarious giver. Do you know why that is? Because the Greek word behind this is where we get our word hilarious. Okay? But I'm here to tell you, that's not what the word means in Greek. Okay? It is where we get our word hilarious, like you're rolling on the floor, bellowing, laughing. I don't think that's what God meant when he talked about giving. He means cheerful. He means we, we want to do this. We have a good attitude, happy. It doesn't mean hilarious. It means cheerful. Okay? Um, that, that's a, by the way, that, that's what we call a word study fallacy. If you take a word in Greek that leads to an English word, like like um, like the other one, agonizomai means to strive. But you hear in that word agonizomai, agonize, right? You hear agonize, and so we think, oh, it's agonize. Well, no, no, no. That, that's what the English word means, but the Greek word doesn't mean that. Okay, etymology is not meaning necessarily. And those of you doing precept classes uh, talk about stuff like that. Okay, so not under compulsion, cheerfully. Let me just give you a few a few more principles, and and we're not going to look up these verses right now. But I've given you a reference, so you have a. Uh, a biblical text to uh, to hold on to this principle. Matthew chapter 6, give anonymously. Remember, Jesus was talking about the, the Pharisees and the scribes. What do they love to do? They're coming to give in the temple. What do they do? They get, they, they get a crew. And the crew goes out and says, the Pharisees are coming to give to the temple today. Sound the trumpet. And it's like, it's like this, it's like a parade. You know, and then you can see the Pharisee with his phylacteries and, you know, they come in and here I am to, and it's a show. And Jesus says, giving is not supposed to be a show. It, it, it's, it's like your prayer life. It's, it's private. It's between you and the Lord. Go into your closet and pray to your Father who's in secret. And in giving, Jesus says what? 
Don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And that's Jesus' way of illustrating that it needs to be anonymous, it needs to be private. Notice also 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says it's voluntarily. We kind of saw that, not under compulsion, that means voluntarily, but 2 Corinthians 8 further um, um, illustrates that, that this should be a free will offering. Sometimes we use that word free will offering. It's, it's a voluntary thing. Uh, notice also, uh, it should be freely as God has blessed us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 actually says, and I will just read this to you, you don't need to turn it. It says, uh, turn to there, now concerning the collection for the saints, that means giving to the church, as I directed the churches, so uh, do you also on the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper. So what the New Testament instruction is, when you when you first get your paycheck, when you first receive your crops, your first fruits, you know whatever it is that you, you know the first of your wealth, that you take some of that freely, voluntarily, and you set it aside for the day when you bring it to the Lord. And and the the text here says, as you may prosper, and that's where we get this principle that that we give in a sense proportionate to how God has blessed us with our money. So there's a there's a, a giving based on. Uh, what God provides to us. Okay? And also, 2 Corinthians 8, uh, sacrificially. Okay? That's, that's the last principle God wants us to, to give sacrificially. We see in 2 Corinthians 8 that Paul commends those who gave, really, um, they gave to the point that it made their life a bit uncomfortable. And, and Paul commended them for that. Uh, so we see the principle of sacrificial giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, so that, that's just kind of a jet tour of what the New Testament says about giving, and, and maybe some other time we'll come back and go a little slower through that. But my, my point in doing that is that we have to recognize Israel as a theocracy was under a different legislation than we as the church, New Testament believers, are today. So, so we don't view the tithe as binding on us because that was really more their tax code. The New Testament guides giving along the lines of what I've just shared with you from these verses today. Okay, Does that make sense? You with me on that? And if that's brand new to you, hey, let's go to lunch and let's talk, to more, talk some more about it because I know that this is, that's new teaching for, for some Christians that may have never heard um, this doctrine before. Now, back to, back to Proverbs chapter 3. Okay, Let's turn back there. Proverbs chapter 3, it says, as you're turning back there, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce... Verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So what does God say will happen? God will bless you in this life. That's what it says. When we give from our wealth to God, when we do that first, when we do it uh, cheerfully, the Bible says here, God will bless you. And, and notice, and I want to be real careful here, notice the blessings that God prescribes here are not eternal blessings, although that's true. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up for yourselves heavens. There is blessing eternally. But the blessing that Solomon is pointing out here is a blessing that we experience in this life. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, now we see that illustrated in other places in the book of Proverbs, this is not the only place where the Bible says when we give to God that uh, he will honor and he will provide for us. 
Um, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17 says that God will repay the person who gives to the poor uh, for his, his uh, good work there. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, that God will bring blessing again. Verse 24, um, the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered, meaning God will, will um, uh, bless those that are generous with their money and with their things. And we also saw that in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 just a moment ago, uh, the blessing that God brings. Now, remember, we, at this point we need to stop just for a moment and remember uh, the nature of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs give principles... Um, uh, uh, the truisms, principles, they, they, they are not the only thing the Bible has to say about it. What do I mean by that? Well, there are people who give generously and sacrificially, and if you were to look at their bank account, you'd say, that's pretty pathetic. That's pretty unimpressive. You know, the, the financial planner would not be excited about that. So it's important to remember on your notes there, this does not mean believers will always be wealthy and full of material possessions. That's not the intent of what this proverb is trying to communicate. What it does mean is this. God honors those who honor him. That's what it means. And God will provide what we truly need. Paul tells the Philippians, God will provide all your needs. Okay? Again, that doesn't mean all of a sudden, you know, you've got money coming out your ears. What that means is God will bless you with what you need as you seek Him first and as you seek to honor Him from your wealth. Now, now, again, students, young people, college students, high school students, teenagers, can, can I just, can I just plead with you for a moment? Learn this early. Get in the habit now when you get your paycheck or you get your chore money or you do an odd job and someone gives you some money for it, get in the habit of looking at that money, that, that $20 bill. Do, do, repent <coughs> repent of the first thing that comes in your mind that says, ha-ha, I have $20. Don't do that. When that money comes in, automatically look at that and say, the first of this belongs to the Lord. By the way, where, where did you get that $20 bill in the first place? Where would you get it? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Yeah, It's his money. It's his money. He just gives some of it to us as a stewardship for a little while. So when we receive that paycheck and we give some of it back to God, it's not some big radical thing because it all came from him in the first place anyway. So young person, get in the habit of doing that now. When our kids were little... Um, this is not an original idea. I, I, I stole it from somebody. But when our kids were really little and we first started introducing uh, an allowance, we went to Walmart and we bought those, you know those little um, Tupperware boxes you can get? You know, you can go to the Tupperware aisle and you got Tupperware that's this big, Tupperware that's this big. It's not Tupperware. It, it's the Sterilite. It's the... Um, the little storage boxes, you know what I'm talking about? And we got three little boxes for each of the kids. And, and uh, we, we put on the top, one says um, giving, and then uh, box number two says saving, and then box number three says spending. Okay, Alan's nodding in agreement back there. Okay, so when they would get their allowance, we would we train them that there was some that was to be given to the Lord. That goes in the giving box. And there was some we want to save. We don't want to spend right away. The Bible's going to talk later on in Proverbs about saving. So some of that goes in the saving box. And then some of it goes in the giving box. And just to drill into their minds from the first moment of, of, getting, of getting chore money that it's not all theirs to do whatever they want. 
that some of that needs to go to the Lord, some of it needs to go to saving, and then, okay, then we have some in spending, and then we talk about how we use that. But that, that, that's, a, that's one simple way of, of many, many ways, and you guys have done similar things with your children, where we try to entrust these things to our kids so that they, they, don't, they don't see that paycheck and think, mine, you know, and, and they just go blow it and spend it. And, and again, children do not automatically become what God wants them to become, which means, which means they get that paycheck and guess what comes into their mind? Mine. Right? So you have to do something about it. Now, now, old people, can we just be honest to the, with the young, younger generations here for a minute? We're tempted to do the same thing, aren't we? Right? So this is not something that's only a lesson for young people. We have, you know, when we get extra income or that extra paycheck or, you know, an extra bill comes in and we're tempted, you know, we, we need to stop and say, what does my theology tell me? And what, what is, how do I really need to handle this and, and resist the temptation um, to, to, to disavow what we've just learned uh, in the scripture here regarding money? So, so young person, you'll be, a, you'll be ahead of the game if you will start to practice this now with your chore money with your job um, as you begin to get an income. Okay, makes sense? Good? All right, so let's move on. The second thing that this text is going to talk about is training. Training, look back at verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, well, we'll see how far we uh, we get here. We may have to hold the second half of this till next time. But let's just look at this. Um, the, the command here, guys, is to embrace God's training. And uh, you'll recall that when you see the word discipline in the book of Proverbs, that that's a word that means what? Let's see if you remember, what does the word discipline mean? I'll give you, I'll give you a reminder by telling you the Hebrew word. It's musar. Okay? So, there's your hint. What does this mean? What's that? Training. training. Very good. It's a word that means training. So every time you read the word discipline, don't think, I'm punishing my child to accomplish correction with something. That's sometimes what it means. But the word is much broader than that. It means training. Now, now again, if you're a teenager, th- this is important. What, what the Bible is saying is you need help in terms of how you think about your money. We've talked about that. And you also need God's training. Now, I'm going to say this, and if you're a teenager, you have to decide whether you agree with this or not. Okay, But I, I'm going I'm to put it up here because it's what this, this verse is saying. Children need training in order to be, in order to become what God wants them to be. Okay? Uh, uh, anybody play sports? And, and not old people. I know, I know some of you did back in the day, but, um, young people, play sports. Okay, got some sports here, got some sports here. Okay, put your hands down. Did you just walk out onto the field and you were the athlete that, that all your fans adore? I mean, is that, is that how it happened? Or does your coach have something to say about practice? Talk to me here. Practice? Do you ever practice? Does he ever tell you you're doing something wrong, do something different? Okay. Does he ever punish you if you do the wrong thing too many times? Okay. Talk to me here. Am I right? Does that happen? Okay. Why does that happen? Because you don't become a good athlete simply by your your presence walking onto the field or walking onto the court. Okay. You become 
a good athlete by, say it with me, young people, training. Okay, that, that was not, that was not full of life or at all. Okay, you become a good athlete by, say it with me, training. All right. Well, guess what? You become the man or woman that God wants you to be in life by training also. Okay? Now, I'm going to say this, and, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute. But, but, but young person, hear me. There are two types of people in the world. The wise person embraces the training that God brings into his life. A wise young person says, I need this. I need to change. The, I, you know, I don't like to admit it, but this is an area I need to work on. Okay? A foolish person will fight against the training that God is trying to bring into his or her life all the time. And young person, I'm here to say, do not fight God on the things he wants to do in your life that you need to succeed. He, we're going to learn here. He, he trains you because he loves you. It's the same reason your parents train you. They don't take any pleasure in, in taking your Xbox away. There's no pleasure in that. There's no pleasure in taking your phone away, your iPad, or saying you can't go out, or you can't take the car, or you have to do extra chores. There's no, parents, there's no pleasure in that, is there? We, we, that, that, that like breaks your parent heart to do that. We do that because we love you, and we know you need training, and without training, you will not become what God wants you to be. So young person, please, do not fight against the things in your life that God is intending for your good, for training, even if they seem negative, even if they seem bad in the moment, okay? We'll, we'll talk more of that in a minute, but that's, that's my pleading here from the beginning. Children need training in order to become what God wants them to be. Children, now notice this, and I, I'm saying children, uh, uh, students, teenagers, 20-somethings, old people, we are prone to, that's what's funny, I'm up here picking on the teenagers. Teenagers, mom and dad, the old people here need the same stuff, okay? We need the exact same thing. God is parenting us as we're trying to parent you, so that's absolutely true. Now notice, there are two wrong responses. When God brings discipline into your life, when God is trying to train you through some negative experience, Young people tend to have one of two bad, wrong responses to fight against that training. Let me, let me show them to you. Look at verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline or the training of the Lord or loathe, <coughs> excuse me, or loathe his reproof. Okay, so wrong response number one, rejecting it. Rejecting it. God wants to train you. God brings discipline into your life. God's trying to correct you for something. And you're like, I don't want this. It's bad. No, I'm not going to. And, and you know, sometimes we do that with, with mom and dad's discipline. I will not accept this. This is unacceptable, mom and dad. I will not submit to this. Okay, y you can do that. You're not going to learn a thing. You're not going to grow. You're going to keep doing the same bad thing over and over and over. You can do that, but that's what's going to happen. And notice here, that Solomon, in talking to his sons, why, why is he saying this? Because as people, this is exactly the way, this is what we are prone to do when we respond to God's discipline. And teenagers, that's true. Old people, that's true too. It's true for me. It's true for you. When God brings discipline into my life, I admit my first response is not usually, thank you, Lord, for loving me so much. 
You know, thank you for not letting me have my way so that I learn to depend on you. That's usually not my first response. And that's why Solomon is saying this. We have to stop and fight that initial reaction that says, this is bad. And say, wait a minute. Maybe God has something good he's trying to do through this experience. Maybe he's trying to help me or train me. So don't reject it outright. Also, notice this word. Don't loathe it or dread it. Don't say, oh. And now, now, teenagers, I know you never do this. Okay? When you've, when you've done something and you know what mom and dad have said the consequence is. And here they come. And you can recite, teenager, what they're going to say. Right? Is that how it works? You know exactly what they're going to say. You know it's coming. You, you know mom's asking for your phone. You got to give up your phone. And you start to loathe it. You start to dread it. You, you start to be weary of it. And, and, and teenagers, you will not benefit from God's training if your attitude is that of loathing, of dreading, of being weary of it, okay? Now, again, go back to sports. We were talking about sports a minute ago, and the coach makes you do 50 more push-ups, or he makes you to run five more laps, or, you know, what, what, are, they, what are they, coaches, what do they do today? Do, do, you, do you sit against the wall? Do you do leg raisers? What, what, do, you, what do you do? What's the punishment? You know, they, they do all sorts of things, right, to, to punish you in sports, okay? Now, now, be honest, be honest. There's times you go, oh, no, not again. One guy on a team, and he blew it for us all, right? That's how it works. And you know what? When game day comes, that team is stronger, aren't they? That team is more precise in that maneuver, in that skill that the coach was working on. And on game day, on game day, when, when you're when you're up on the platform with the Vince Lombardi trophy, you're not thinking, oh, that coach, he made us run five more laps the other day. You're like, yeah, we won. And you'll probably go back and thank that coach and kiss his feet because he prepared you for the game, didn't he? Okay. Well, teenagers, that's what God is doing in life. He says, one more set, one more lap. And you're going, oh. He's preparing you for the game. He's preparing you for the game of life. He's preparing you for not what is a game, but is your one precious life that you have to live before God and for His glory. And He's preparing you for that through discipline, through instruction, through, through training. So teenagers, don't do what most of your friends do. Don't do what will automatically rise up in your heart the next time your mom or dad says, come here, and they have that parent look on their face. Or even more importantly, when God brings discipline into your life, fight that thing in your heart, that that automatic response that comes up and says, I don't need this, I didn't do anything wrong. Or, oh no, not again. Fight that, because if you don't, you won't learn from it. And if you don't learn from it, you won't be trained. And if you're not trained, you will not become what God wants you to become. Okay. So let's watch how this works here. The word reproof means, can mean punishment, criticize, or reprimand. So, so this training is corrective in nature. This is corrective training. Um, and this is important to see. Like the coach, 
Training doesn't include just positive things, sometimes includes very negative things, even punitive things, things he does to punish you when you do the wrong thing as a means for correcting. Now, we go back to um, what we, we talked about this several weeks ago. The word discipline, the word training has three aspects to it. It can mean instruction, it can mean correction, including chastisement, including punishing, or a warning or admonishment. Okay, so that's review. So in this context... The word discipline is this, is this sense, the correction part of it. That's what we see here. Because the word discipline is used in parallel with rebuking or reproving. Now, you might be asking, now as a young person, and maybe as an old person, um, you're not offended by me calling you old people over and over again, am I? Okay, alright. Um, this, is, this, is this is a great question. How does God discipline us? If God was disciplining you in a, in a corrective measure, would you know it? Would you be able to identify it? And, and young person, you may be wondering, okay, Pastor Keith, I'm going to buy into this for you uh, for a minute. Um, how am I know, what is God's discipline like? You know, does he take my phone away like my mom does? What does he do? Well, and again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I, I wanted to put a few things up here on the board. Um, these verses illustrate some of the ways that God disciplines. Okay, for example, logical consequences. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Well, what's that? That's a logical consequence. If you put off your school project till the last minute and then you throw it together, and then you get a C- minus on the project, what is that? It's a natural consequence. You know, you spend a little more time on it, maybe you get a little better grade. This is not rocket surgery here, as our friend David Gibson says, right? This is pretty simple stuff. Logical consequences. Reaping the fruit of sin. Sometimes God's discipline comes in the form of a result of sin. Proverbs chapter 5, we'll look at it here in a few weeks. Uh, the young man who gets involved in an immoral relationship with a woman he's not married to, the Bible says he gets entrapped in the cords of his sin. He becomes in bondage to that sin. That's a, a fruit of sin. Number three, additional work. And th- this is why, teenagers, your parents give you extra chores as a consequence. Because sometimes that's how God does it. Extra work. Uh, Psalm 107, interesting verse, go back and read it sometime. Psalm 107 talks about how God gave the Israelites extra work for their disobedience. Okay, And, and, and again, parents, these are, this is great to take notes on because this is the paradigm we use to know what consequences we should impose in discipline to our children. Okay, this is, God gives us the roadmap. All we have to do is follow what he does. He's the perfect parent. He's a good person to follow. And then the rod of men. This, oh, man, you do not want to hear the rod of men. This is like when the Babylonians come in and destroy your land and carry you off into captivity. That's the rod of men. That's the most extreme form of God's punishment of his people. And this might be, this might be akin to something about, you know, if you do something illegal and you go to jail. Or you do something illegal and you get a ticket. Or you have to appear in court. That's the rod of men. It's, it's a consequence of our bad action, our bad behavior. 
Okay, so look those up on your own time. Very interesting. Parents, if you've never done a study on that, study how God disciplines his, his children, and that gives insight for how we do discipline in the home. Okay, uh, moving on. Parents should remind children regularly to expect, prepare for, and respond rightly to God's training. That, that's why this is here. He says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Now, now why would a parent say that? Because a wise parent knows God's going to discipline his children. God's going to discipline that, that, that dad, that mom, their own children. God's going to do that. And, and so he says to mom and dad, tell your children about this. Tell them, hey, this is going to come. You, you need this. It's good. Don't fight it. Embrace it and learn from it the way that God intends. Now, here's the $100 question, because I know what you're thinking. Couldn't we win the Super Bowl without doing all that extra punishment, all that extra correction, all those extra laps, all those extra weight room exercises and push-ups or whatever you do? Why does God train us? Why does he correct us and discipline us? Look back at the text. Verse 12. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. He disciplines even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So, so here's, and again, young person on your notes there, why does God train? Because he loves his children. He loves his children. Um, and young people, old people, we, we all need to learn this. One of the things, well, it's, it's the thing that, that Solomon points out here, but what helps us most with our attitude about discipline, about training, about correction is remembering that God's doing this because he loves you. We're going to learn elsewhere in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs actually says this, the one who spares the rod, meaning doesn't discipline his children, hates his son. Now, 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 be honest. How many of you have ever heard, oh, I love my, chil- my children too much to discipline them? You ever heard that before? That is fatally wrong. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. The Bible says, if you really love your children, you are committed to train them, even to correct them and discipline them when they need it. That is an expression of love. And conversely, if you're not committed to that, you're not going to train your kids, let them do whatever they want, get away with things, get whatever, you hate your children. I don't hate my children. That's what God says. If we do not discipline and train our children, we demonstrate our hatred for our children. Okay? That's, that's God's assessment of it. Um, what, what does it say? A child that gets his own way brings shame to his mother. There's another illustration of that. So, so, so I want to I say this to parents. Parents, if we love our children, and I know you do, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, whoever it is, we must be committed to train them. It's hard. It will 
challenge you like no other emperor. It will show you the wickedness of your own heart in your impatience, in your anger. It will show you your selfishness as one more time you've got to go deal with the two kids that are fighting yet one more instance. And yet if we love them, that's exactly what we need to do. And, and, and the, the, the little secret in that is that God is using that difficulty on us parents. He's parenting us while we're parenting our kids. So he is sanctifying our hearts as we are dying to ourself and going and ministering to our children yet one more time. Okay. Now, young people, teenagers, if you have a mom or dad that loves you enough to discipline you, to train you, to get in your face and say, son, I love you, this isn't right. Or daughter, this, this needs to change. I know this is hard, but I'm, I'm going to assume that you guys are mature enough to understand this. Okay, I'm going to say this. Will you thank the Lord for that? Will you thank your parents for that? Because what God is saying is, if you are the type of teenager who has a parent that lovingly corrects you when you need it, that means you have a parent that really loves you. And young people, do you know how many children do not have that? Do you know how many children do not have a parent that loves them enough to correct them? Or they have parents that correct in all the wrong ways, they're abusive, they're angry. So again, this is hard to accept, but you should be thankful to the Lord and thankful to your parents that they love you enough to correct you and that they do so out of their love for you and out of their love for God. Okay, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for the reminders in these verses today uh, that your discipline is an expression of your love. And we need that. We, we will not automatically become what you want us to be without your training. Father, I pray that you would give us the humility and the grace to not fight against the discipline that you bring into our life, to not fight against the correction that you bring into our life, but instead to embrace it, knowing that what it produces is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And oh, how we want to be righteous, how we long to be holy. We want to be men and women that are that are honoring to you in our lives, and so we need this training. Father, I think if we're all honest today, old people, young people, that uh, discipline is not something that we often enjoy. But will you remind us today, and will you, will you put a, a reminder into our hearts that in the day of discipline, in the day of correction, that we have a loving God, who is committed to our holiness. And so we embrace it. And even, Lord, that we would get to the place where we thank you for your loving correction, your loving training, that we might share in your holiness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.